Chapter One of In the Arctic Seas. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. In the Arctic Seas by Captain F. L. McClintock. Chapter One. It is now a matter of history how government and private expeditions prosecuted, with unprecedented zeal and perseverance, the search for Sir John Franklin's ships between the years 1847 and 55, and that the only ray of information gleaned was that afforded by the inscriptions upon three tombstones at Beachy Island, briefly recording the names and dates of the deaths of those individuals of the lost expedition, who thus fell early in the cause of science and of their country in this manner we were made aware of the locality where the franklin expedition passed its first arctic winter the traces assuring us of that fact were discovered in august eighteen fifty by captain omani r n of h m s assistance and by captain penny of the lady franklin in october eighteen fifty four dr ray brought home the only additional information respecting them which has ever reached us from the eskimo of boothia felix he learned that a party of about forty white men were met on the west coast of king william's island and from thence travelled on to the mouth of the great fish river where they all perished of starvation and that this tragic event occurred apparently in the spring of eighteen fifty some relics obtained from these natives and brought home by dr ray were proved to have belonged to sir john franklin and several of his associates the government caused an exploring party to descend the fish river in eighteen fifty five but although sufficient traces were found to prove that some portion of the crews of the erebus and terror had actually landed on the banks of that river and traces existed of them up to franklin rapids no additional information was obtained either from the discovery of records or through the eskimo mr anderson the hudson bay company's officer in charge and his small party deserve credit for their perseverance and skill but they were not furnished with the necessary means of accomplishing their mission mr anderson could not obtain an interpreter and the two frail bark canoes in which his whole party embarked were almost worn out before they reached the locality to be searched it is not surprising that such an expedition caused very considerable excitement at home lady franklin and the advocates for further search now pressed upon government the necessity of following up in a more effectual manner the traces accidentally found by dr ray and in fact of rendering the search complete by one more effort involving but little of hazard or expense it was not until april eighteen fifty seven that any decisive answer was given to lady franklin's appeal sir charles wood then stated that the members of her majesty's government having come with great regret to the conclusion that there was no prospect of saving life would not be justified for any objects which in their opinion could be obtained by an expedition to the arctic seas in exposing the lives of officers and men to the risk inseparable from such an enterprise lady franklin upon this final disappointment of her hopes had no hesitation in immediately preparing to send out a searching expedition equipped and stored at her own cost but she was not left alone many friends of the cause including some of the most distinguished scientific men in england and especially sir roderick murchison whose zeal was as practical as it was enlightened hastened to tender their aid and soon a very considerable sum was raised in furtherance of so truly noble an effort on the eighteenth of april eighteen fifty seven lady franklin did me the honour to offer me the command of the proposed expedition it was of course most cheerfully accepted as a post of honour and some difficulty it possessed quite sufficient charms for a naval officer who had already served in three consecutive expeditions from eighteen forty eight to eighteen fifty four i was thoroughly conversant with all the details of this particular service and i confess moreover that my whole heart was in the cause how could i do otherwise than devote myself to save at least the record of faithful service even unto death of my brother officers and seamen 
and being one of those by whose united efforts not only the franklin search but the geography of arctic america has been brought so nearly to completion i could not willingly resign to posterity the honour of filling up even the small remaining blank upon our maps to leave these discoveries incomplete more especially in a quarter through which the tidal stream actually demonstrates the existence of a channel the only remaining hope of a practicable northwest passage would indeed be leaving strong inducement for future explorers to reap the rich reward of our long-continued exertions i immediately applied to the admiralty for leave of absence to complete the franklin search and on the twenty-third received at dublin the telegraphic message from lady franklin your leave is granted the fox is mine the refit will commence immediately she had already purchased the screw yacht fox of one hundred and seventy seven tons burthen and now placed her together with the necessary funds at my disposal let me explain what is here implied by the simple word refit the velvet hangings and splendid furniture of the yacht and also everything not constituting a part of the vessel's strengthening were to be removed the large skylights and capacious ladderways had to be reduced to limits more adapted to a polar climb the whole vessel to be externally sheathed with stout planking and internally fortified by strong cross beams longitudinal beams iron stanchions and diagonal fastenings the false keel taken off the slender brass propeller replaced by a massive iron one the boiler taken out altered and enlarged the sharp stem to be cased in iron until it resembled a ponderous chisel set up edgeways even the yacht's rig had to be altered she was placed in the hands of her builders messrs hall and co of aberdeen who displayed even more than their usual activity in effecting these necessary alterations for it was determined that the fox should sail by the first of july internally she was fitted up with the strictest economy in every sense and the officers were crammed into pigeon-holes styled cabins in order to make room for provisions and stores our mess-room for five persons measured eight feet square the ordinary heating apparatus for winter use was dispensed with and its place supplied by a very few small stoves the fox had been the property of the late sir richard sutton baronet who made but one trip to norway in her and she was purchased by lady franklin from his executors for two thousand pounds having thus far commenced the refit of the vessel i turned my attention to the selection of a crew and to the requisite clothing and provisions for our voyage many worthy old shipmates my companions in the previous arctic voyages most readily volunteered their services and they were as cheerfully accepted for it was my anxious wish to gather around me well-tried men who were well aware of the duties expected of them and accustomed to naval discipline hence out of the twenty-five souls composing our small company seventeen had previously served in the arctic search expeditions of this kind are always popular with seamen and innumerable were the applications sent to me but still more abundant were the offers to serve in any capacity which poured in from all parts of the country from people of all classes many of whom had never seen the sea it was of course impossible to accede to any of these latter proposals yet for my own part i could not but feel gratified at such convincing proofs that the spirit of the country was favourable to us and that the ardent love of hardy enterprise still lives amongst englishmen as of old to be cherished i trust as the most valuable of our national characteristics as that which has so largely contributed to make england what she is my second-in-command was lieutenant w r hobson r n an officer already distinguished in arctic service captain allen young joined me as sailing-master contributing not only his valuable services but largely of his private funds to the expedition this gentleman had previously commanded some of our very finest merchant ships the latest being the steam transport adelaide of two thousand five hundred tons he had but recently returned in ill health from the black sea where he was most actively employed during the greater part of the crimean campaign nothing that i could say would add to the merit of such singularly generous and disinterested conduct david walker m d volunteered for the post of surgeon and naturalist 
he also undertook the photographic department and just before sailing carl peterson now so well known to arctic readers as the eskimo interpreter in the expeditions of captain penny and dr kane came to join me from copenhagen although landed there from greenland only six days previously after an absence of a year from his family we were indebted to sir roderick murchison and the electric telegraph for securing his valuable services like the paris omnibuses we were at length too complet and quite as anxious to make a start ample provisions for twenty-eight months were embarked including preserved vegetables lemon juice and pickles for daily consumption and preserved meats for every third day also as much of messrs Olsop's stoutest ale as we could find room for the government although declining to send out an expedition yet now contributed liberally to our supplies all our arms powder shot powder for ice blasting rockets maroons and signal mortar were furnished by the board of ordnance the admiralty caused six thousand six hundred and eighty two pounds of pemmican to be prepared for our use not less than eighty five thousand pounds of this invaluable food had been prepared since eighteen forty five at the royal clarence victualling yard gosport for the use of arctic expeditions it is composed of prime beef cut into thin slices and dried over a wood fire then pounded up and mixed with about an equal weight of melted beef fat the pemmican is then pressed into cases capable of containing forty two pounds each the admiralty supplied us with all the requisite ice gear such as saws from ten to eighteen feet in length ice anchors and ice claws also our winter housing medicines pure lemon juice seamen's library hydrographical instruments charts chronometers and an ample supply of arctic clothing which had remained in store from former expeditions the board of trade contributed a variety of meteorological and nautical instruments and journals and i found that i had but to ask of these departments for what was required and if in store it was at once granted i asked however only for such things as were indispensably necessary the president and council of the royal society voted the sum of fifty pounds from their donation fund for the purchase of magnetic and other scientific instruments in order that our anticipated approach to so interesting a locality as the magnetic pole might not be altogether barren of results being desirous to retain for my vessel the privileges she formerly enjoyed as a yacht my wishes were very promptly gratified in the first instance by the royal harwich yacht club of which my officers and myself were enrolled as members the commodore a r sedeckney esq presenting my vessel with the handsome ensign and burgee of the club and shortly afterwards by my being elected as a member of the royal victoria yacht club for the period of my voyage lastly upon the very day of sailing i was proposed for the royal yacht squadron to which the yacht had previously belonged when the property of sir richard stratton throughout the whole period required for our equipment i constantly experienced the heartiest cooperation and earnest goodwill from all with whom my varied duties brought me into contact deep sympathy with lady franklin in her distress her self-devotion and sacrifice of fortune and an earnest desire to extend succour to any chance survivors of the ill-fated expedition who might still exist or at least to ascertain their fate and rescue from oblivion their heroic deeds seemed the natural promptings of every honest english heart it is needless to add that this experience of public opinion confirmed my own impression that the glorious mission entrusted to me was in reality a great national duty i could not but feel that if the gigantic and admirably equipped national expedition set out on precisely the same duty and reflecting so much credit upon the board of admiralty were ranked amongst the noblest efforts in the cause of humanity any nation ever engaged in and that if high honour was awarded to all composing those splendid expeditions surely the effort became still more remarkable and worthy of approbation when its means were limited to one little vessel containing but twenty-five souls equipped and provisioned although efficiently yet in a manner more according with the limited resources of a private individual than with those of the public purse the less the means the more arduous i felt was the achievement the greater the risk 
for the fox was to be launched alone into those turbulent seas from which every other vessel had long since been withdrawn the more glorious would be the success the more honourable even the defeat if again defeat awaits us upon the last day of june lady franklin accompanied by her niece miss sophia Craycroft, and captain maguire r n came on board to bid us farewell for we purposed sailing in the evening seeing how deeply agitated she was on leaving the ship i endeavoured to repress the enthusiasm of my crew but without avail it found vent in three prolonged hearty cheers the strong feelings which prompted them was truly sincere and this unbidden exhibition of it can hardly have gratified her for whom it was intended more than it did myself i must here insert the only written instructions i could prevail upon lady franklin to give me they were not read until the fox was fairly in the atlantic aberdeen june twenty ninth eighteen fifty seven my dear captain mcclintock you have kindly invited me to give you instructions but i cannot bring myself to feel that it would be right in me in any way to influence your judgment in the conduct of your noble undertaking and indeed i have no temptation to do so since it appears to me that your views are almost identical with those which i had independently formed before i had the advantage of being thoroughly possessed of yours but had this been otherwise i trust you would have found me ready to prove the implicit confidence i place in you by yielding my own views to your more enlightened judgment knowing too as i do that your whole heart is also in the cause even as my own is as to the objects of the expedition and their relative importance i am sure you know that the rescue of any possible survivor of the erebus and terror would be to me as it would be to you the noblest results of our efforts to this object i wish every other to be subordinate and next to it in importance is the recovery of the unspeakably precious documents of the expedition public and private and the personal relics of my dear husband and his companions and lastly i trust it may be in your power to confirm directly or inferentially the claims of my husband's expedition to the earliest discovery of the passage which if dr ray's report be true and the government of our country has accepted and rewarded it as such these martyrs in a noble cause achieved at their last extremity after five long years of labour and suffering if not at an earlier period i am sure you will do all that man can do for the attainment of all these objects my only fear is that you may spend yourselves too much in the effort and you must therefore let me tell you how much dearer to me even than any of them is the preservation of the valuable lives of the little band of heroes who are your companions and followers may god in his great mercy preserve you from all harm amidst the labours and perils which await you and restore you to us in health and safety as well as honour as to the honour i can have no misgiving it will be yours as much if you fail since you may fail in spite of every effort as if you succeed and be assured that under any and all circumstances whatever such is my unbounded confidence in you you will ever possess and be entitled to the enduring gratitude of your sincere and attached friend jane franklin we were not destined to get to sea that evening the fox hitherto during her brief career accustomed only to the restraint imposed upon a gilded pet in summer seas seemed to have got an inkling that her duty henceforth was to combat with difficulties and entering fully into the spirit of the cruise answered her helm so much more readily than the pilot expected that she ran aground upon the bar she was promptly shored up and remained in that position until next morning when she floated off unhurt at high water and commenced her long and lonely voyage scarcely had we left the busy world behind us when we were actively engaged in making arrangements for present comfort and future exertion how busy how happy and how full of hope we all were then on the night of the second of july we passed through the pentland firth where the tide rushing impetuously against a strong wind raised up a tremendous sea amid which the little vessel struggled bravely under steam and canvas the bleak wild shores of orkney the still wilder pilot's crew and their hoarse screams and unintelligible dialect the shrill cry of innumerable sea-birds the howling breeze and angry sea made us feel as if we had suddenly awoke in greenland itself 
the southern extremity of that ice-locked continent became visible on the twelfth it is quaintly named cape farewell but whether by some sanguine outbound adventurer who fancied that in leaving greenland behind him he had already secured his passage to cathay or whether by the wearied homesick mariner feebly escaping from the grasp of winter in his shattered bark and firmly purposing to bid a long farewell to this cheerless land history altogether fails to enlighten us from january until july this coast is usually rendered unapproachable by a broad margin of heavy ice which drifts there from the vicinity of spitzbergen and lapping round the cape extends along shore to the northward about as far as Biles river a distance of two hundred and fifty miles although it effectually blockades the ports of south greenland for the greater part of the summer and is justly dreaded by the captains of the greenland traders it confers important benefits upon the greenlander by bearing to his shores immense numbers of seals and many bears the same current which conveys hither all this ice is also freighted with a scarcely less valuable supply of driftwood for the siberian rivers about this time one of my crew showing symptoms of diseased lungs i determined to embrace the earliest opportunity of sending him home out of a climate so fatal to those who are thus affected and having learned from mr peterson who had quitted greenland only in april last that a vessel would very soon leave frederickshaar for copenhagen i resolved to go to that place in order to catch this homeward bound ship it was necessary to push through the spitzbergen ice and we fortunately succeeded in doing so after eighteen hours of buffeting with this formidable enemy at first we found it tolerably loose and the wind being strong and favourable we thumped along pleasantly enough but as we advanced the ice became much more closely packed a thick fog came on and many hard knocks were exchanged at length our steam carried us through into the broad belt of clear water between the ice and the land which peterson assures me always exists here at this season the dense fog now prevented further progress and as evening closed in i gave up all hope of improvement for the night when suddenly the fog rolled back upon the land disclosing some islets close to us then the rugged points of mainland and at length lifting altogether the distant snowy mountain peaks against a deep blue sky the evening became bright and delightful the whole extent of coast was fringed with innumerable islets backed by lofty mountains and being richly tinted by a glorious western sun formed an unusually splendid sight greenland unveiled to our anxious gaze that memorable evening all the magnificence of her natural beauty was it to welcome us that she thus cast off her dingy outer mantle and shone forth with radiant smiles such winning smiles a faint streak of mist which we could not account for appeared to float across a low wide interval in the mountain range the telescope revealed its true character it was a portion of the distant glacier we found ourselves upon the tallard bank thirty miles north of our port having been rapidly carried northwards by the spitzbergen current july twentieth this morning the chief trader of the settlement or as he is more usually styled by the english the governor came off to us and his pilot soon conducted us into the safe little harbour of frederickshaar i was much gratified to learn that we were just in time to secure a passage home for our ailing shipmate for trading purposes greenland is monopolized by the danish government its eskimo and mixed population amount to about seven thousand souls about one thousand danes reside constantly there for the purposes of conducting the trade which consists almost exclusively in the exchange of european goods for oil and the skins of seals reindeer and a few other animals the eskimo are not subject to danish laws but although proud of their nominal independence they are sincerely attached to the danes and with abundant reason a lutheran clergyman a doctor and a schoolmaster whose duty it is to give gratuitous instruction and relief are paid by the government and attached to each district and when these improvident people are in distress which not unfrequently happens during the long winters provisions are issued to them free of cost spirits are strictly prohibited all of them have become christians and many can read and write 
have we english done more or as much for the aborigines in any of our numerous colonies and especially for the eskimo within our own territories of labrador and hudson bay greenland is divided into two inspectorates the northern and southern the inspector of the latter division dr ring had arrived at friedrichshaab upon his summer round of visits only the day previous to ourselves he came on board to call upon me and after divine service i landed and enjoyed a ramble with him over the moss-clad hills our first meeting was in north greenland in eighteen forty eight we had not seen one another since so we had much to talk about dr rink is a gentleman of acknowledged talent a distinguished traveller and is thoroughly conversant with the sciences of geology and botany unfortunately for me his excellent work on greenland has not been translated into english we were kindly permitted to purchase eight tons of coal and such small things as were required the only fresh supplies to be obtained besides codfish which was abundant consisted of a very few ptarmigan and hares and a couple of kids these last are scarce some goats exist but for eight months out of the year they are shut up in a house and even now in midsummer are only let out in the daytime we also purchased of the eskimo some specimens of eskimo workmanship such as models of the native dresses kayaks etc also birds skins and eggs i saw fine specimens of a white swan and of a bird said to be extremely rare in greenland it was a species of grebe podikeps cristatus i imagine Friedrichshaab is just now well supplied with wood. Besides an unseaworthy brig, the wreck of a large timber ship lay on the beach, and an abandoned timber vessel, which was met with between Iceland and Greenland in July by Prince Napoleon, drifted upon the coast thirty miles to the northward in the following September. End of chapter one.